Thank you, Jose. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. I'm going to pray one more time. Um, I just, I need to pray for me uh, just to be on the safe side. <laughs> Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jose's prayers. And I just agree with my brother, Lord, that, uh, Lord, thank you for the gift it is to be together, to worship, Lord, and uh, thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray, Lord, like we sang a little bit ago, Lord, your will, your way. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us and that, that your will would be done in us and through us. And Lord, we pray that this morning uh, you would draw us to yourself, meet each and every one of us, including me, where we need to be met. And uh, I think about Jesus saying, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I think about your provision and thank you for that. But also say, Lord, give us what we need today to serve you the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, last week, Chris Tweet shared, and he, he shared about um, the fairy tale and, and, and story, and he tied it to what matters. Uh, and today, we're going to look at something and talk a lot about God's story and the way that God moves through history. We're going to take one part, uh, but it's going to be part of a, uh, a much greater whole in a movement, and I'll illustrate that a little bit. Um, we're going to look at uh, the book of Acts this morning. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 8. Um, and I'm going to read the passage in a minute, but before I do, um, I want to give you a little bit of a prologue. Uh, the book of Acts teaches us many things, but one of the main things is that you see the gospel begin to spread from the Jews to the Gentiles, and that happens in different steps in the book of Acts. It's laid out in a beautiful way. Um, the, the prologue to the part we're going to look at is in Acts ch chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to read that, and then we can put up the, the well, we've already got them up, but that's okay. Uh, Stephen, uh, the disciple, has uh, gotten up and proclaimed the gospel to the Jewish leaders, and their response was to stone him to death. And so as we get out of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is dead. And Acts chapter 8 starts with this verse. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul is the man who had become Paul. And then it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, growing from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Stephen has had this moment where he's proclaimed the gospel. The response is they kill him. And so the, the Christians at the time, the followers of Jesus, are spread out. They go, they have to leave because the persecution in Jerusalem is so intense. Now, we look at that and think, oh, it's such a terrible thing. But this is what you see over and over in God's story is he takes this terrible thing and uses it for good things. So he does that, and so right before the, the part we're going to look at, Philip is there, and he's preaching in Samaria, okay? If you remember, Bob stood up here a couple weeks ago and told us the parable of the Good Samaritan, and Samaritans were so despised that at the end of that parable, when Jesus, Jesus asked the question, you know, which one was righteous, 
And they, they, the uh, Pharisees, the teachers of the law, their answer was the one who took care of him. They couldn't even say Samaritan. Bob said that from right here a couple weeks ago. So Samaria was a hated place. And the gospel has just gone to Samaria. And the Jews are trying to figure out, like, oh, my gosh, like, what, like, the, the Jewish, the men who had been Jewish who were Christians are like, well, what is this, how does this work? And their, their, under, their understanding of God moving to different people groups is, is being stretched. So here we see the next phase in God's plan. I'm going to read, start reading from Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I'm going to read through verse 40. I'll go through the whole thing, and then we'll kind of back up and go through it. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his, its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself? or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Who can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So here we have this encounter between Philip, who's been running out of Jerusalem and been in Samaria, and with this Ethiopian person, this, this man. What do we know about him? Well, he is in charge of the queen's treasury. Okay, and you'll notice it says he's a eunuch. And what, what would happen is if you worked for in the like the closely with the queen or like in the queen's offices then in her court, uh, so you could be safe, you would voluntarily get castrated. So you could work with the queen. That was what the exchange that you made. You said, Yes, to work with her, I'm gonna do this. And he did it probably thinking, hey, this is a this is a great job. Um, in charge of the queen's finances. In our language, he's sort of the CFO for the queen, okay? Uh, and so he's very wealthy. How do we know that he's wealthy? Well, there's a, several ways. Number one, he's in a chariot, okay? He's in a chariot. He has servants. How do we know that? Because when he's riding with Philip, it says that he told them, the servants, to stop the chariot. So he's not driving it. 
He's not reading it. He's not like holding the reins to the chariot and holding the scroll of Isaiah in the other hand trying to read it. He's sitting in a comfortable spot and someone else is driving his chariot. He's got a scroll. Isaiah is a very long book. It's probably on two scrolls, okay? And he's reading in Isaiah chapter 53. And so he's probably got multiple scrolls. So now he, so he's got all of this wealth and, and he's accomplished probably in terms of what career-wise you could accomplish as much as somebody would want to accomplish. He obviously sacrificed a great deal. <laughs> I think a lot of us feel like, yeah, I, I made sacrifices at work. I've given up some things to succeed. I would submit to you that he gave up more. Now, it's not just the physical limitation that he has, but one of the things for you and I to keep in mind is that at that time, one of the ways that you measured your worth was in the number of your descendants, in your family. Remember the promise God made to Abraham? Your descendants will be more than the number of these stars. So the Ethiopian man made the decision Again, he wasn't forced. He made the decision to be castrated. And then later in his life, he has got all of these things, but he, he's dissatisfied. You know, he recognizes that all of this stuff isn't enough. And so he goes to make this journey. Now, an important part about this is that the journey from the capital of Ethiopia to Jerusalem the capital of Ethiopia is, is Addis Ababa. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, to Jerusalem. It's about 1,500 miles. Okay, 1,500 miles. This would have taken him months. One of the times that I, that I like, the worst came out of me uh, was when our children were young and living at home and we were trying to get ourselves to church. Now, one of the things that we liked about uh, first church the most when we started coming here was that you could be a few minutes late and you were on time, you know? We loved it. We fit in here, you know? We're like, this is great, you know? But I mean, the effort that it took us to get three of our children into the minivan and get here was, you know, a lot. And, and I know if you've got little kids, like real little kids, it's like moving every time you come here. Um, thank you for being here. Thank for, for doing the work, you know? Um, but, but I mean, again, to, and I'm joking a little bit, but put it in perspective. There's, God has, has, has put a thirst in this Ethiopian man's heart that he is willing to say, I am going to go and travel 1,500 miles, and I'm going to take months out of my job because I want to go to the temple and worship God. He's in Ethiopia, so most likely not Jewish, He's heard about this. He is searching. He's thirsting. He's hungry. He was, God was driving him to himself. Here's a question for you this morning. What is driving you towards God? What is driving you towards God? Now, we're going to look at three primary things. Um, and I, I'm going to show something that really sad that happens with this gentleman when he gets there. We're going to look at the Spirit of God, we're going to look at the Word of God, and then we're going to look at the man or woman of God, the person of God. So the Spirit of God, 
the word of God and then the man or woman of God. Um, one of the heartbreaking things about this passage is that when the Ethiopian eunuch traveled the 1,500 miles, so I guess it's you know 3,000 uh, total, to Jerusalem to get to the temple and worship, do you know what? He wouldn't be allowed inside. Because what had been what had been done to him physically, he wasn't allowed to go into the temple. So he would have traveled all of this way, and they said, hey, you, you're, you can't come in. You know, and it was to represent that God was holy, but, but he's, walk, he's leaving with this same thirst, same hunger, unquenched, unmet. That's where Philip encounters him. And here's where we see the Spirit of God, it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. And then it says, a little bit later, he sees the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and it talks about uh, the man, uh, he's, he's reading the book of Isaiah, and the Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And it says, Philip ran up to the chariot. We'll get to that in a second. Here's what's unique about the Spirit of God. We have a lot of conversations about race in our culture today. Some of the conversations are very healthy and some of them are, are less helpful. The reality is in our fallen state, okay, in our fallen state, you and I will, will surround ourselves and be with people that are like us. That is, our, that is where we're comfortable. And I want you to know that God, God's heart, is for that not to be the way it is. God's heart is for us to reach and be friends with people that are not like us. When it talks in the Great Commission about making disciples of all nations, the Greek word that is used is ethnos, where we get our word for ethnic or ethnicity. So the first thing you see, the movement in the Spirit of God here is you've got Philip, a Jewish man, and the Spirit of God says, hey, you're going to go run up and you're going you're to talk to this sexually altered black man. He's Ethiopian. He's African. So a Jewish man and a sexually altered black man. That's, that's a big deal. And the Spirit of God pushes him there. The Spirit of God pushes him there. Again, our, our default of our fallen self is to be around people like us. That's not how God works. And that's not the way God wants us to live. Now, the Spirit prompts Philip to run alongside the chariot. Okay, so the, the chariot is moving, and it says that he ran. So literally what happens is the chariot's going by, the Spirit says go, and Philip runs up to it like this. And he says, hey, <laughs> do you know what you're reading? This is, I'm acting it out. This is real. You know, and, uh, and the guy says, no, how can anybody, you know, how can I read? I don't understand what's happening. And then he says, he, it says, um, so he invited to Philip to come up and sit with him. That must have been a really welcome relief. Who knows about Philip's cardio at the time, you know? Maybe he was CrossFit at whatever, you know, Jerusalem CrossFit or whatever they had. I have no idea. But he runs up and he runs next to the chariot. We'll come back to this. Um, and then the guy says, hey, come come, come talk to me. Like, like, yeah, help me explain what this is. 
Now, here's the big question for you and I. When we talk about the Spirit and how it prompts us, have we said no to the Spirit of God because we are worried it will make us look awkward or foolish? Have we said no to the Spirit of God because we're concerned that we're going to look awkward or foolish? Maybe it's a social risk that we're not willing to take. Did he feel silly jogging alongside the chariot? Maybe. Can you imagine jogging up alongside somebody on a bike and asking them, like, what podcasts they're listening to or what they're, where they're headed? It would, be, it would be weird, but it's like, have we said no to the Spirit because of that? Because we felt like, I don't want to look awkward or feel silly. I'm a Young Life leader, and we talk about this all the time because a lot of our job is starting out with kids feeling awkward and silly. But that, like, we've talked about this verse before, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God. And our God loves to be trusted. When we take little steps, it pleases him, he loves it. So the Spirit of God pushes Philip. The Spirit of God leads him into this situation with a man who's not like him at all. Again, a Jewish man and a sexually altered black man. And the Spirit of God tells him, go up, run alongside Run alongside this chariot, and he obeys. Next, we're going to look at the Word of God. The eunuch is reading from Isaiah chapter 53. I said this before. He would have had, the, it says he's got a scroll, so he's got the whole book with him. Now, here's what's really interesting. And I think when we, as I learn more about God's Word, one of my favorite things is it's deeper, it's richer, and it's more profound the more that I know. It is literally an endless well of wisdom and beauty and grace. So, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. He has been turned away at the temple. And a couple of chapters away from what he's reading when Philip uh, runs next to him is Isaiah 56. And he probably read this. He probably, again, he had 1,500 miles. You think you could read the whole book of Isaiah in 1,500 miles? Probably. Here's what it says, though. Listen. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. The guy that gets turned away at the temple. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, a man with no descendants. No one is no one to follow me. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose and pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters." I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So he's thinking about, okay, I'm not going to have a family. I'm never going to bear children. My name will die with me. And while he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this. First of all, how profound is it that there's verses directly speaking to eunuchs in the Scripture? Like, and this man is like, you know, like now we would, you know, if you were curious about it, you would search it 
you know, in the text or whatever on the computer. He read the whole thing. He's like, oh my gosh, this is just for me. And to the man who had been turned away at the temple, it says, the Lord will, sh- to the- let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. He's saying, hey, if you think you're not welcome, you are. And if you think you're not going to have descendants, I'm going to make it better. And when he says, I want to explain, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but I just want to bring clarity. He says, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. So he's giving them a place within his temple where the eunuch had just been kicked out of. Not kicked out of, not allowed in. He's giving him a place in my temple with a, with a memorial and a name, a home, a place to belong that's going to be better than sons and daughters, better than you having sons and daughters. Do you think that promise sounded pretty good to him on that road? And then he will give him an everlasting name that will endure forever. For the man who is going to have no descendants, he says, hey, you know what? Your name will endure forever. What an incredible thing. So the word of God. And it's important as we, as we think about the gospel and our understanding of Jesus Christ that it's, it's not like, it doesn't, none of it happens without the word of God. So I think when we, when we ask the question, like it's hard for me to get my kids in my minivan to come to church on a Sunday morning and this guy traveled 1,500 miles one way over several months. What brought that out? Well, part of it is the thirst that is, that, he, that is being quenched a little bit by the word of God. He's reading it. He's trying to understand what it means. It sounds really good, but he doesn't fully get what it means. So the spirit of God pushes us. The word of God speaks to and ministers to us. And third, the man or woman of God human relationship. Philip runs alongside the chariot and talks to the eunuch. Now, what is Philip's job in the passage? What is his job in the passage here? I think there's two two things he's supposed to do. Number one, he's supposed to be obedient to the Spirit. That's number one. When God prompts you, that little whisper, he's obedient. That's number one. And that's, I mean, we've talked about that. Easy to say, hard to do. The second thing is Philip's job is to explain the word of God to someone who does not understand it. So almost always, the spirit of God will prompt us to be present with someone or someone, uh, I'm sorry, be in the presence, someone we're already in the presence of, or approach someone that we cross paths with a lot. It might be I was walking down the street and there was a person standing in there and God said, go talk to him. Sure. But usually it's people that we're around, you know, and we're around them enough and we get little prompts. Um, so the spirit of God prompts, we have to respond. And the second thing is we have to be willing, able to explain the word of God. So we have to, do you know the word of God well enough to explain it to somebody? That's a really good question. And, and our goal with it, when we think about it, should be to answer yes. Yeah, I can, I can explain not, I mean, there's mysteries in the Word of God we don't understand, but some of the basics, the, the passage the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, 
He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. We know who that is talking about. So can we, do we understand the word of God well enough to, to explain it to somebody? I had a crazy experience uh, two years ago now. Yeah, two years ago, about two and a half years ago. I went to a football game. It was not at, I'm, I was going as a young life leader. I was going to see some kids I knew play, but it was an away game. And I'm in line to get a ticket to go into the stadium. And it's a beautiful night. It's September. It's like one of those like football Friday nights. Everybody, you know, it's just perfect. You know, a little small town USA. And a high school kid in front of me turns around and says, hey, I'm having some trouble, some problems. Can you help me? And I say, uh, sure, what, what can I do? And he says, well, I just broke up with my girlfriend and I don't know what to do. Can you help me know what to do? And I, I'm, I'm literally looking around for cameras. I'm like, this is a joke, right? I've been doing this for a long time. This never happens. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah, like, tell me what happened. And, you know, and he, and he, he's telling me and they, they broke up and it's hard. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, you know? And, um, I mean, we have this conversation, but it, here's what's, here's the truth. This is, this is the difference between me and Philip in this situation. I didn't know, I didn't know what to tell him to do. I was like, I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, I'm not saying this to him, but I'm like, I'm like, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's good that they broke up. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I didn't know the answer, you know? And so I'm not making this up. There's another couple behind me that's a little older. He's like, Hey, can you help me? You know, can you guys, here's what's going on. And so the four of us are standing there having this conversation, waiting to get in line, you know, or waiting to get our tickets to the game. And I, and I just was like, I, I mean, I don't know how you prepare for that, but I remember walking away thinking, that was crazy and really cool. Here's another thing. The kid bought my ticket to the game. He goes, hey, you, you, thank you for helping. Let me buy your ticket to the game. And I'm like, I have money. It's okay. No, no, no. He goes, let me get it. I, I almost passed out. I was like, this is, this is crazy. So, but, but again, I wasn't, I didn't have the answer. I could, I could listen. And a lot of our job with our friends that we're trying to share the gospel with is to listen. That's an important piece, to be in relationship, to care. I cared about him. But, but I didn't really know what to, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have an answer. The great thing is, is with, the, with Jesus and the scriptures, we, we do, we may not know exactly how to say it, you know, but like we, we can explain the scripture. I couldn't explain to him why they broke up or if they should get back together. There was a dilemma because he left his fishing stuff at our house. How do I go? He was like, he was like, how do I get my fishing stuff? And I'm like, well, I don't, like we could tell, you know, let's come up with a plan, you know? So, Again, the two things for the two big roles for Philip be obedient, listen to the Spirit of God. And I think we have to be, we have to put ourselves in position where we can hear the Spirit of God. Can't be so busy, gotta slow down, gotta listen. You know, and then be able to, to explain the Word of God. You know, we don't, none of this happens without the Word. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double edged sword. None of this happens without the Word of God. Remember that. So here's a question for you. Who are you running alongside? Is there somebody that you're kind of, maybe now I would do it really slowly, but sort of trotting alongside in their life? Maybe think, who is God putting on your heart on a regular basis? 
Who is somebody that you're crossing paths with a lot? Maybe God's leading you somewhere there. Now, Spirit of God, the Word of God, the man or woman of God, what happens after? So the Ethiopian eunuch, church tradition tells us, this is not in the Bible, but this is what history and church tradition says. He goes home and he shares the gospel with the people that he's around, which is he's, he's around people that are in the leadership positions in the nation. And Ethiopia actually became the second nation in the world to proclaim themselves a Christian country. I do not think that's a coincidence. And we talk about that's, God, that's God's story We're at work. So he goes back home and starts telling the queen about all the stuff that he's learned. She tells the king. They tell their kids. A couple generations later, huge impact in the country. So how do we live this out? What do we do? Like, how do we, how do we put ourselves in position to be more like Philip? Number one, we've got to spend time with our God and in his word. There is no shortcut to that, to, to spiritual depth. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks at a Young Life Leadership meeting, but it came to mind when I was thinking about this. One verse, Mark chapter one, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So our Lord Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, desired to get up early and go off by himself, and God the Son prays to God the Father. He had that desire. He didn't need to confess any sin. He got marching orders, I'm sure, in a way, although I don't think he ever had to bring himself into alignment with the Father. I think they were aligned. I think we have a lot, of, a lot more business to do with God than he did. But we, there, we have to spend time with God. With that, it helps us grow and mature, and we have to, to, to study his word. That's the first thing. Number two We've got to understand that we are created and designed by God to love God and love other people. That is, that is where satisfaction in life is found. The Ethiopian eunuch had all kinds of money. He had power, prestige, servants. That sounds really good. He knew it wasn't enough. At the end of the day, it wasn't what he wanted. Do we understand that our job is to love God and to love other people? That's what's satisfying. Our world tells us the opposite is true. Our world says, you think about you, you do what you need to do for you, you take care of you. That's, that's very dissatisfying. A friend of mine once said, and I think it's absolutely true, if you want to be miserable, think about yourself all day. So true. And our world would say, do that. And I'm telling you, it's not, not how it works. Purpose, satisfaction, and fulfillment in our life in our, is found in loving God and loving other people. There's, there's no other way. Basically, when we think about it, and I'll, I'll close with this, the kingdom of God is at work and on the move. 
And we need to be asking God regularly to show us what part we are supposed to play in his story. I'm gonna say that again. The kingdom of God is at work and on the move, and we need to be asking God to show us what part we are supposed to be playing in his story. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for the gift of your word. Again, it's awesome. There's so much there. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, listen to you and do what you ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.